85 upon us 85 weeks we've been doing this show can you believe that wowzers what a goddamn beautiful day it is grab yourself a refreshment get that posture up let's get fucking serious huh Okay, beautiful. We're here with my uh, longtime friend, uh, Marcus McGee. Marcus is a 6-1 professional fighter, and I've been friends with you, Marcus. I mean, even coaching you, what, 10 years ago? Yeah, about 10 years, yeah. About a fucking decade. Dude. It's crazy to think about it, right? It is. It is. So, you're 6-1 now. I bet one more finish, and you'll get in the big show. I, I believe that. Um, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think the same thing, you know, uh, so I've just been trying to get something lined up uh, so I can take that next leap because that's what it is. Just got to keep on fighting, right? Keep on fighting, keep on winning, winning in that the same type of fashion, and we're going to get to the big show at some point, right? Yeah, and in, in, in 2022, you had two guys fall out. Has that been a kind of a pain in the ass finding opponents? Yeah, that's been the biggest thing. Even when I was amateur, that was always the biggest thing is opponents pulling out, getting to fight week, and then having a switch of opponent or – not have an opponent at all so yeah it's freaking i mean especially in phoenix in the big city it just seems so hard for amateurs to rack up 10 12 fights it seems so hard in montana you can sign up every other weekend and just show up and fight you can get a lot of cage experience which is nice um yeah i noticed that too yeah it's just been weird it's weird how it is out here especially because the the, mar- the market for mma has grown right so you would think that because of that and how many how big phoenix is that you'd be able to find fights left and right. But that's just yeah. not the case, you know. And just training at the lab and training here, they see where you train, and then people, they sign up, and then they, they do a little more research on you, and then they pull out. It's a big pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, but we got some, uh, we'll, we'll get back to the MMA stuff here in a bit. I mean, your MMA stuff. But we got some big news in. We got, uh, they just announced Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz. For PFL? He, uh, boxing. Oh, okay. Boxing match on Dazen pay-per-view in Dallas, Texas, August 5th. It'll be an eight-round match at 185 pounds. Wow, that's going to be a banger. Yeah, I mean, dude, Nate is a little, he's still, he's a little chubby. He's still got little tits and little love handles at 170. So 185, 185. Fuck, I don't know if that's a good weight for Nate. Maybe it is, though. Maybe he's growing because he, cause he's tall. He's 6'1". And Jake is going to be a big 185er, a solid 185er. Is Nate going to be as durable as Tommy Fury? That's the question, right? I, I think so. It just depends on what which rounds he gets tagged in, right? Mm-hmm. If he gets tagged early and gets put away early, I think that it's over, you know? But if he can, you know, take some of those blows early on and then go into, like, round six and, and, and start picking apart um, – Jake, I think he could do it, you know, especially at that weight, because he could take damage. That's what he's known for. 
Is his is his mic low, Jay, or is it good? Is it good? Yeah, because he takes damage yeah. from the best of them, and then in third round, fourth round, fifth round, comes back and beats guys yeah. up, sub- submits guys. You know what is what is Nate Diaz gonna bring to the fight that Anderson Silva couldn't? <sighs> you know that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I I don't think he's gonna bring anything that that Anderson Silva couldn't. You know, I just think that he is that kind of a dog. He has that dog top mentality. I think I'm always betting against Jake for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why I'm always betting against Jake because <laughs> I actually like Jake. Yeah. But every time he's fighting someone, I'm like, nah, that that person's gonna be able to do. It. And I think it's maybe experience. I always, mm-hmm. I always think because even when I'm when I'm getting matched up with guys, I, I'm always like, man, these guys got experience. All these guys got so many fights and comparative to my fights because I don't have as many fights yet, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I always think experience means so much. So, you know, Jake actually does match up against Nate really well. You know. Yeah, because Nate is how old these days? I think he's only like maybe 35, maybe 35. And what has he been doing? I wonder if he's been boxing because he's 37 years old. He's 37. He's 37 year old. And when someone thinks like someone's fighting, the average person thinks, oh, this guy's fighting. They're always going to think of their best performances, and they're going to think they're going to bring that into the cage that time. It's not always the case. Yeah, and honestly, it's not even his performances, I think, because – Think I can't think about one person that Nate Diaz has fought that's like Jake Paul. You know, that's the size of Jake Paul, the reach of Jake Paul, and the power of Jake Paul. And then boxing too. Never seen Nate Diaz put those boxing gloves on. I do think his style kind of will 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 work good in boxing, just because he does have some of those fundamentals that will last later on in the fight. And uh, I think that's gonna be a big thing. I think Jake just has to go in there and put him away early. Um, yeah, I mean, I would be I would question it because I'd be like. Oh. If, if Jake didn't already fight Anderson and we sat ringside on that and Anderson came at him, dude, and pressured him the whole time. And, you know, someone early on in their career, you want to just test their cardio. Test how do they react to a bunch of pressure. And he reacted good because if that Anderson fight didn't happen, I'd be like, damn, Nate might pressure him and really gas him out. But Jake was good at handling that Anderson Silva pressure. So, I mean... I hope I hope they have in the clause in the deal that if Jake beats him boxing, then Jake will fight him MMA because he proposed that initially. Okay, that well, would be sick. That would kind of make sense because Jake has been talking about do, didn't he sign with PFL and he's supposed to do his first MMA fight this year as well, or is that yeah. for next year? Yeah, uh, I think Suge contacted him and said, "Hey, you can come train with us, or we'll help you a little bit for the MMA." And he said it won't be for. Probably a little bit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, that'd be kind of cool to see that that happen, and then it could happen with some other fighters that have been talking about getting into MMA. Javante Davis was talking about doing some MMA, possibly. Mayweather's been saying it forever, forever. But yeah. See, in MMA, it's a completely different game. I mean, Jake Jake will realize quickly how much a wrestling scramble will zap your energy. Oh yeah. Especially if if Nate Diaz starts clinching him up, even if Nate Diaz pulls guard. Ground and pound has got to be one of the most tiring fucking things because you're putting all this energy and effort into your punches and someone's guard, and you don't even have your hips really to throw the punches. So there's a lot of effort. Ground and pound has to be one of the most tiring things because there's also not really a way to train it because you can hit the dummy bag on the ground all you want, but when someone's fighting against you and you're not trying to bomb on someone as hard as you can in practice, so you get into a fight and start bombing on them as hard as you can, you fucking get zapped. No, 100%. 100%. There's been multiple times that, yeah, I get the takedown, I'm on top, and I'm just ground and pound. I'm like, man, I need to stop. I need yeah. to stop because I'm, I'm going to blow my load. Mm-hmm. Even if you're landing hard shots, it's just 
it's tough being doing that in between standing up and then having to throw 100, 200 punches just to keep somebody off of you. So, so if someone gave you ten grand right now to bet early, Jake Paul versus Nate Diaz, who you bet? I'm betting Jake Paul. <laughs> if I had to put money on it, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't make sense. Like, I don't think that Nate will be able to take the power of Jake Paul. But that being said, if it did get into later rounds, I mean, Nate's known for just having that ability to finish guys later on if they let him get there, you know. Mm. And he does put put together combinations well and very unorthodox. So I think that would play a part in it. But I do think I think Jake gets it. If I had to put money on it, I'm putting it on Jake. It's gonna be sick. Yeah, it is, it is. So what do you think the toughest part coming up as a fighter is? Because how many kids you have? I have four kids. Four kids and you and then you how old? I'm thirty two. You're thirty two, but then how old are your kids? My my, my kids are uh thirteen, twelve, ten, and seven. So has that been a a, a tough part of focusing and being on a fi- uh, being a fighter because you don't make good money yeah no 100 percent, and that's one of the biggest things too because a lot of people think that you make really good money in the beginning or even like later on even when you get to the big show you know you have to work your way up to making money that's especially when you've worked because i had to work throughout the whole time this whole time i've been fighting and working and this last year has been my first year of just being a professional fighter and getting to taste what that is like because other than that i was working 60 hours a week uh, providing for the family and then training you know 30 hours on top of that as well yeah i mean you're such an explosive natural talent um you're so good with having to work a full-time job so now you're taking time off it's been nice we've always been able to rely on you when we need good sparring for sugar you're always safe and you're up but you're not scared of him a lot mm-hmm. of people that spar him are scared of him they're scared to hit him they're scared to do all the shit but you go after him and you try to put it on him which has been like a huge help for us yeah because i mean that's the only way he's going to benefit too right uh, it blows me away because I don't want to. We don't want to hurt each other. That's not the plan. But the plan is to really see what it's going to be like in those moments. You know, when guys are coming in or guys are trying to step off and then just really reenact what we can. You know, and I think it's a. Uh, it helps to be to to train live like that. So I've always enjoyed doing rounds with Shook. You know, and it builds me just as much as it helps him uh, see a real look for for his fights. You know. Yeah, if you're not sparring hard on fight day. Or even the first minute in the fight, you're going to be like, oh, fuck. I, I, have, I have more anxiety than I thought. This guy's actually trying to hurt me now, and I'm trying to hurt him. And I didn't get this tired in sparring. I never pushed myself to this pace in sparring. So sparring hard is such an important part of being confident on the day of fights. Oh, yeah, it definitely is, you know. And, e- and even when we say we're not trying to put each other away, we're still throwing those shots live, you know. And the plan is to get out of the way of those shots at that speed because – even when we're hard sparring in the gym, that's not even up to what a fight is, you know. The moment in the fight where, where all that uh, adrenaline drops, you know, and the, and they're about to say, let's go, touch gloves, and it's about to pop off, you're like, it, you can't really reenact that inside the gym, you know. Yeah, for sure. And then the, the, the more you win, the more pressure goes on you because you're fighting for whatever it is, 5-5, five and 10-10, five, and 15-15. You can't even really plan for the next six months because you don't know 100% if you're going to win or not. You don't know if you're going to get that win bonus. Mm-hmm. So you put that stress into it, and then you put the stress into it. Okay, I've lost a fight. If I lose in the next fight, I don't have a job anymore. Mm-hmm. Now I'm back to the fucking regional scene. So there's just so much pressure and mental battles that fighters are going through that people don't even think of. Even and, even with uh, like um, Israel, they're just like, yeah, or anyone. They just think they're going to see that same fighter they saw at their best. You have no idea the mental battles people are dealing with. Oh, yeah. that's. I don't think people really take that into account. A lot of people don't know how to put themselves into other people's shoes, though. Empathy is not like 
a big thing that we talk about in in this day and age, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, most people have sympathy for people, but empathy to really sit back and say, "Dang, what is that person going through on a regular daily basis?" You know, that's a that's a whole another topic. But yeah, uh, even on the lower level, like on our level, we're not. You know, you're talking about twelve and twelve. You know, you're not you're not really making any that much money, and especially for a person like me who has kids, a wife, a house, a car. Uh, it was really hard for me to make that step and jump straight into and just be um, just straight MMA fighter. Cause, uh, yeah, thankfully you got the style. I can see you getting in the UFC and winning some bonuses. That's the plan. I, I really believe it too. You know, uh, I don't really uh, try to jump out there or get too crazy with it, but I, not, but I do have a lot of belief in the fact that I will be in the UFC and that I will get a bunch of $50,000 bonuses and yeah. fight some of the best. It's just it's just God's timing, right? In my mind, you know, it's just God's timing, and and then being ready for those moments too, and for when it happens, because it's not going to be just plain and simple, like you were saying. We can't make plans. It's almost hard to make plans. I've been wanting to step back and just hang out with my family, or go take them somewhere, or go do something with them, especially because they're getting older, you know, and they're not, and I'm getting older, but they're getting older. I have a 13 year old, 12 year old. It's like they're about to be in high school, mm-hmm. so it's like I want to be able to be there for them as well while. Whilst I want to still chase this dream while I'm still young, you know. So you were working at a weed grow for a while? Yes, sir. Grow, yes. Growing or? Grow, yeah, uh, a part of the grow, but uh, more so on the post-harvest side. So when I first got into the company, I was doing just security. I was training at the UFC gym and just started doing security over there. Uh, and I really wasn't really that into it. I was just working security, making extra money. And then they, they pulled me in and I went into the cure department. And then uh, I was in cure for about four months. Um, and then started doing logistics, which is just driving everything around to each one of the dispensaries from Tucson to Flagstaff to Cholo to wherever we needed to get products. So, yeah, that that was like actually a lot of fun. So it was kind of cool to be doing that on the side, even though I was still training and fighting the whole time. Um, it was a, it was something I'm super passionate about. I still I still grow now. So fuck yeah, I can't wait. I'm I'm waiting because we're having to get a house soon here, and I'm gonna start growing. I can't wait. So what's your wife do for work now? Uh, so my wife's a teacher. She's a fourth grade teacher. Sweet. Yeah. So she she really enjoys that and loves it. Honestly, when she first brought it up to me, I was kind of like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is really the path you want to take. Um, especially because she did business first. That's what she was into. But um, after seeing her for the last four years teach. Uh, it's definitely something that she's super passionate about. I actually go in and uh, get to see some of her kids at school. Sometimes I've read to them uh, one time, and they like to get my some of my shirts and merch and nice. stuff too. Yeah, that's badass. All right, let's switch directions here a little bit. We'll do a little bit of James Clear this week. Let's see if he's got any gems on his uh, weekly newsletter that I enjoy subscribing to. Okay, the number one says create your life, create your life rather than live it. Okay, we'll go to number two here. One of the most critical skills in life and yet never taught in school is choosing where to direct your attention. After graduation, the valedictorian will often get lapped by the average people who better invest their time. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I remember in, in school, all the kids like, oh, 4.0, 4.0, 4.0. They're just perfect. And then I look at their lives now. I'm like, oh, Fuck. I was like, oh, they're smart. They'll go far in life. But almost the smarter you are in that aspect, not always, but smarter you are in that aspect and just following the rules and just I'm going to listen to what the teachers tell me to do. Almost like more of a robot you're going to turn into and more they're just going to put you into the system. Yeah, no, 100%. I kind of like that too because just looking, hearing that, it makes me think of that one quote that's like, he who knows which cell, not which cell he wants to sail toward, 
uh, is like lost in the ocean, essentially. And that's, I mean, that's basically what he's saying. If you don't know where you're going and you don't really, you can't really put yourself into a certain direction that's going to be beneficial for you, it doesn't matter what your IQ is. doesn't matter. You'll never get a chance to be put in the position to have the opportunities to flourish. And yeah. And you have the, you always have the pressure of you look when you're er young you look at the teachers and you look like the parents like they just know everything and then you got the pressure from those parents and teachers to do this to do this do this and maybe you're not super into that and then you you do the right thing and listen to the parents and teachers and now you're stuck in this job where you make 20 30,000 a year forever and it can't go up and you're just stuck part of the system yeah and that was one of the things for working in the industry too i kind of got trapped in the idea that i love cannabis too right i love cannabis i love all the things behind it it's so cool that it's legal and that we get to be a part of history and all that stuff but at the same time i the whole time i'm working and i was building something because i was able to buy my home and vehicle and support my children so that's that's all good and gravy but i wasn't really building anything for me you know because it's not the end all be all growing weed i'm not gonna be able to you know do that 10, 12, 15, 20 years from now. How and, come? Well, it's just like the industry is constantly evolving, right? Like I've been out of the industry for a year now. Uh, after we got bought out from our, our through our through our last um, endeavor, we got bought out and I ended up getting severed, severed from the company and all that good stuff. So um, I've been out for a year. Well, just talking to everybody that I can talk to at meetups and different events happening. It's just the industry is constantly evolving, you know, and you don't necessarily know where the science is going to go behind it too, because what is, what happens if science comes out and says, Hey, cannabis isn't, isn't necessarily the best thing for you. Then what happens, you know, where, where, where they actually start doing testing and start showing, Hey, well, these people that are smoking or, or ingesting or, or, va or vaping or, you know, any of them above that it could, that it could have certain harmful agents, you know, then do we start taking it serious and start going, okay, well, there is a limit to how much people can should be smoking. Psycho, I mean, psychotherapy things, like these things are going to come out the more cannabis comes out, right? Because in all reality, we really haven't done any real deep diving testing on cannabis because of all the legal stipulations on trying to test, you know? Yeah. I mean, especially now all these rich people that don't even give a fuck about weed are buying it and they're just like, get this shit out in pounds. I don't care what you spray it with. Yeah. It, well, and that's the thing. They can't do that anymore, which is awesome. Right. So uh, all the whole industry is regulated by certain um, testing facilities, essentially. And if you're not getting your product tested and regularly based off of their stipulations, uh, which they check like I think every three six months something like that they'll come in and audit companies um, and that's what they're testing for they're testing for microbials they're testing for um, toxins they're testing for um, uh, contaminants like uh, multiple different things that they're testing for THC level and all that stuff comes along with the cannabinoids terpene profiles um, and those are all the things they're testing for so if any of those harmful agents do come up or are, are being sprayed on products then it'll come up in the testing and it'll be, and, uh, and then you can't sell that product. Dispensaries can't sell that product. Mm. Um, it's the thing is they haven't really taught anybody how to really go look for those testing results and, and understand those testing results. You like to mess around with any other kind of drugs or. Uh, yeah. I'm not against really any drugs. I just don't, I just don't get a chance to as much anymore. Just cause you get the family, just cause I got the family, you know, but yeah. I think for me, it's always been, Everything has in, is intention, right? You know, and I'm an avid smoker, and even as an avid smoker who smokes daily, constantly, um, 
I still question myself on, am I smoking because it's habit or am I smoking because it's what I want? You know, it's like I have control of the situation and it's what I choose to do. And I, and I just do that for myself and that has no judgment on any of the other drugs that, but I, I think everything has its place, right? And everything has its time and its setting and intention behind everything. Yeah, this is interesting here. Uh, Sam Harris, he's a neuroscientist. He has the app called Waking Up. That's that's the one I do my kind of meditation through. And this popped up. I listened to this years ago, but it popped up again. We'll listen to here like a couple minutes of this. And it's called Drugs and the Meaning of Life by Sam Harris, scientist. Life. Everything we do is for the purpose of altering consciousness. We form friendships so that we can feel certain emotions like love and avoid others like loneliness. We eat specific foods to enjoy their fleeting presence on our tongues. We read for the pleasure of thinking another person's thoughts. Every waking moment, and even in our dreams, we struggle to direct the flow of sensation, emotion, and cognition towards states of consciousness that we value. Drugs are another means toward this end. Some are illegal, some are stigmatized, some are dangerous though perversely these sets only partially intersect. Some drugs of extraordinary power and utility, such as psilocybin, the active compound in magic mushrooms, and lysergic acid diethylamide, LSD, pose no apparent risk of addiction and are physically well tolerated, and yet one can still be sent to prison for their use. Whereas drugs such as tobacco and alcohol, which have ruined countless lives, are enjoyed ad libitum in almost every society on earth. There are other points on this continuum. MDMA, or ecstasy, has remarkable therapeutic potential, but is also susceptible to abuse, and some evidence suggests that it can be neurotoxic. One of the great responsibilities we have is to educate ourselves, along with the next generation, about which substances are worth ingesting and for what purpose, and which are not. The problem, however, is that we refer to all biologically active compounds by a single term, drugs making it nearly impossible to have an intelligent discussion about the psychological, medical, ethical, and legal issues surrounding their use. The poverty of our language has been only slightly eased by the introduction of the term psychedelics, to differentiate certain visionary compounds which can produce extraordinary insights from narcotics and other classic agents of stupefaction and abuse. Stick with me. However, we should not be too quick to feel nostalgia for the counterculture of the 1960s. Yes, crucial breakthroughs were made, socially and psychologically, and drugs were central to the process. But one need only read accounts of the time, such as Joan Didion's slouching towards Bethlehem, to see the problem with a society bent upon rapture at any cost. For every insight of lasting value produced by drugs, there was an army of zombies with flowers in their hair shuffling toward failure and regret. Turning on, tuning in, and dropping out is wise, or even benign, only if you can then drop into a mode of life that makes ethical and material sense, and doesn't leave your children wandering in traffic. Drug abuse and addiction are real problems, of course, the remedy for which is education and medical treatment, not incarceration. In fact, the most abused drugs in the United States now appear to be oxycodone and other prescription painkillers. Should these medications be made illegal? Of course not. But people need to be informed about their hazards, and addicts need treatment. And all drugs, including alcohol, cigarettes, and aspirin, must be kept out of the hands of children. I discuss issues of drug policy in some detail in my first book, The End of Faith, and my thinking on the subject hasn't changed. The war on drugs has been lost and should never have been waged. I can think of no right more fundamental than the right to peacefully steward the contents of one's own consciousness. The fact that we pointlessly ruin the lives of nonviolent drug users by incarcerating them, at enormous expense, constitutes one of the great moral failures of our time. 
And the fact that we make room for them in our prisons by paroling murderers, rapists, and child molesters makes one wonder whether civilization isn't simply doomed. I have two daughters who will one day take drugs. Of course, I will do everything in my power to see that they choose their drugs wisely, but a life lived entirely without drugs is neither foreseeable nor, I think, desirable. I hope they someday enjoy a morning cup of tea or coffee as much as I do. If they drink alcohol as adults, as they probably will, I will encourage them to do it safely. If they choose to smoke marijuana, I will urge moderation. Tobacco should be shunned, and I will do everything within the bounds of decent parenting to steer them away from it. Needless to say, if I knew that either of my daughters would eventually develop a fondness for methamphetamine or crack cocaine, I might never sleep again. But if they don't try a psychedelic like psilocybin or LSD at least once in their adult lives, I will wonder whether they had missed one of the most important rites of passage a human being can experience. This is not to say that everyone should take psychedelics. As I will make clear in a moment, these drugs pose certain dangers. Undoubtedly, some people cannot afford to give the anchor of sanity even the slightest tug. It has been many years since I took psychedelics myself, and my abstinence is born of a health... That's a a whole 15-minute video, but I think it's on YouTube, but it's really good. I mean, if you can, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it's just called Drugs and the Meaning of Life. And uh, on the res, is there a lot of guys do that do meth, Delane? Yeah, it's pretty heavy there, man. It's like, I think now more so it's like uh, pills, opioids and stuff, but like still there's meth around. Yeah, because I know Great Falls is big with the meth. Helena's big with the meth. Thankfully, I was always around like groups that weren't into it. Yeah. Uh, but it's pretty bad, huh? Yeah, it is. I mean, like, it's just like we talked about before, like, choice is everything. And then people have their, like, their fixes or whatever, but it's pretty heavy there. Like, And you get down in the dumps. You get down in the dumps and you're just like, shit's not going good. And then someone offers you this and then it just numbs you completely and you just fucking get hooked. And you might not even be in the dumps. You might just be bored, right? Because that's the thing. Like, you might just be bored and feel like you don't have anything going in your life in general. You're stuck in the area that you are. You're stuck in the body that you are. You feel limited. You know, so many reasons why you might get into because I have to say I've done just about all of them, you know, and um, uh, other than maybe PCP, <laughs> which I'm thankful for. So what for. was meth like? Uh, it, it's very like um, the, what I would say it's very like directing, right? Like for a person who has ADHD or a person who constantly feels high sprung and feels like they're all over the place. You get focused and you start doing shit. Hyper focused on certain things, too, which is it's good and bad. Right. You know. But um, that's that's what it is. It gets. Was it super addicting, or did you just do it once? And so you're just like, I don't think anything is addicting for me. And I've done all of them multiple, multiple times, you know. And I had my periods in my life where I've done all of them. Um, and um, and again, for me, I never got addicted to anything other than. And then I don't believe I'm addicted to cannabis, but cannabis is the only thing that I regularly use. I don't drink alcohol. Um, I try not to eat a lot of sugary things, but I still do. I love sugar, especially lately for some reason it's been harder for me i've been staying away from it because i was looking for a fight but uh man sugar is the only thing that i'm like having a big fight with but um uh but yeah all the other ones for me wasn't wasn't a big deal but i've had a lot of friends and people that i've known from the past pass away from meth use fentanyl heroin you know people that decide to start shooting up because that was one thing i never did when i when i touched heroin i just uh you know they have black tar you smoke it essentially same thing as smoking pills um, but like everything that he's talking about in that aspect of it, as a person who's done them all, um, I feel like I think the war on drugs is ridiculous. And I think that educating is the way, right? Educate people to what it is that pushes us to do these things. What kind of mental state was I in to where I feel like I felt like I really needed to be doing these things. Like I needed to step outside of myself. I wasn't okay with myself. 
I wasn't coming to terms with myself. And that's what the rite of passage, passage stuff is, right? And we were dealing with, I was just talking about this the other day, but we're dealing with all these different things with like people taking their own lives in this society in a big way because they can't come to terms with who they are. And most people are trying to resort to drugs and other ways to step up out, outside of who they are instead of learning how to really love who we are and understand that we have control over our mind and that we can push our minds to wherever and push ourselves to be the people that we think we can't, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even if you if you were just programmed a certain way, you can reprogram your brain. And it's going to be fucking tough and you can. And I think you're right. A big part of it is just boredom. People get home and they're like, I don't want to I have this energy and I don't and then they just take a big fucking dab and just go mm-hmm. just get a, hooked on the hooked on that shit. Yeah. I wish dabs were like that for me cuz I'll take a fat dab and start doing my lawn. Really? <laughs> I'm so bad start about it. work. Oh yeah, that's why like I don't even smoke before going to sleep half the time because it will keep me up in I'll be out there in the universe, you know, floating in my mind just thinking about too much. I've I've been up for hours before after smoking and just thinking, especially if I take edibles. So I try not to smoke like an hour outside of going to sleep mm-hmm. just so that my mind can settle because even if it's indica, sativa, all of it, I think that just if you smoke after a while and your body becomes used to it, there's certain things that you you become active with. Like when I eat in the morning, if I eat early in the morning, my body kind of knows, all right, we're about to go do something. So it starts to kind of utilize that energy differently. And I think the same thing with cannabis. Like when I smoke, my mind's like, okay, we're about to do something, you know? Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and it's for just like Sam Harris was saying, he, he would feel bad for someone who never – in their life tried psilocybin and it's not for everyone because if you're a schizo and you try psilocybin it could just put you over the edge he talks about but when he talks about these plant medicines mushrooms and in marijuana how they open up different neural pathways in your brain and you could be looking at a certain situation one way take a little rip do a little bit of psilocybin and you'll look at that thing from a completely different way and even for people that are super smart and creative maybe they take a good rip of some bud or a little bit of psilocybin and they're just super creative in another way. Um, so I think it's, it's powerful. Yeah, definitely. And as a person who has kids too, you know, there's no book to this thing. And I always say the same thing that a lot of what he was saying, I want my kids to experience life. And that's not to say I want them to experience drugs, alcohol, any of the above. If they have a life where they stay away from all those things and they're so content in themselves, where they never have to touch anything. Great. Right. But that's not real life. That's not it, that's not my experience. No, and I'm trying to raise them in a better experience than I had. But that's not my experience. And for whatever my, my experience is, that made me do whatever I decided to do, whatever I chose to do. I did change a lot of those things, and a lot of my perspective comes at, from being in the position of doing. You know, like I did do all these drugs. You know, I wasn't. I didn't feel like the best person. You know, so it was like to to be who I am now, a person who I'm proud of, a person who. I look up to and I'm I'm happy to be, you know, and then be there for my kids now. And to look back at that person, I'm like, that was a part of this person still. That's still that's still part of me, a person that I had to deal with a lot of thoughts and anger and resentment that I had to overcome uh, to become this, you know. Yeah. And we're lucky, though. I mean, we're lucky enough to kind of found our purpose, like mixed martial arts and giving back mixed martial arts and just doing that and just getting into mixed martial arts, jiu-jitsu, boxing, whatever it is, it makes you want to just be a better person. It makes you want to be healthier. After you get your ass whooped and you're super gassed, you just learn so many lessons from from practice and being in the in the dojo. But for people who don't have any passions, it's tough. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I would attribute that to the 
mixed martial arts for sure. Because, yeah, ever since I jumped in, i just been feeling like I never want to be that person again, you know. And, um, and, and every day I push myself to just become a better person. And then the people you're around to who are doing the same things, who are, who are trying to push themselves mentally, physically, uh, socially as well. Like, I want to be a better parent for my kids. I want to be a better husband for my wife. I want to be a better grandson for my grandparents. Yeah. It's like trying to really just better get better on each one of those. Not egotistically, which it is ego-filled because it's something that I still want, but like more so just because I want that's – the, that's the person I look up to. When I look at myself in 10 years, when I look at myself in five years, that's the person I want to see myself being a strong leader for my family. Yeah. You know? Fuck yeah, dude. Okay, number three here on James uh, Clear. Money plays an important role in life, but if it – but it can't be the only filter for how you decide to spend your time. Nobody will ever pay you to go on a date with your spouse or take your kids to the park or grab coffee with your parents. So money plays an important role in life, but it can't be the only filter for how you decide to spend your time. It's good. Yeah. Uh, so those were examples at the end too, huh? Like kind of like, yeah. like take your parents out to lunch. Like, like, yeah, those are moments in life that you have to spend your time to do. Uh, that a lot of times it's going to cost money too. And it might be money of time that you're, that you could be making money. So it's both of those. And yeah, but then I always think about when, when you, every time you hang out with your parents, like how many more times are you going to hang out with your parents? Do you hang out with them a lot? Great. But if you don't, then how many are you going to hang out with them five more times, 10 more times? Um, and then when they die, you'd be like, fuck, like, just why live in this regret. Why didn't I spend more time with them? Yeah, especially talking to people who have lost their parents too. Uh, they, they always feel that way, no matter if they had a great relationship with their parents or had a bad relationship with their parents. A lot of times they're like, man, I wish I would have rekindled. I wish I would have spent more time. I feel like, I don't know if Def does that in every different aspect, but in the parents' name, it is kind of crazy. Yeah. Okay, Carl Jung, the influential psychiatrist on the value of knowing yourself. J uh, Jordan Peterson always talks about Carl Jung. Uh, Paul Check talks about Carl Jung so much. He's, I guess he was just so ahead of his time when it comes to psychology and stuff. And this one says, the world will ask you who, the world will ask you who you are, and if you don't know, the world will tell you. Yeah. It's, some of his shit's so deep. It's oh, yeah. I absolutely love Carl, Carl Jung. Like, I've been, so I, I listen to Jordan Peterson at, uh, as well and a couple of different other guys, and I'm always just pulling up different Stoics and Taoism and all that different stuff on, on YouTube, especially when I take Epsom salt baths, I just like to get into some philosophy, get into philosophy. I like to hear other people's philosophy on how they dealt with different situations in life and dealt with different real thoughts that aren't necessarily good thoughts or mm -hmm. could be good thoughts to, to deal with those as well. Um, and Carl Jung has so many things. And I was listening to one of his, uh, a podcast I was doing a big 30 minute, uh, Carl Jung thing. And, um, yeah. And, uh, basically that's where I got, from, uh, familiarized with him they're saying he was the closest thing to bringing um like christian like um the belief in god and philosophy together essentially mm -hmm. uh and i kind of appreciated that thought because I'm, a, I'm not a religious person but i definitely do believe in god and i pray all the time and like god's with me constantly and that's something i like to hold dear to myself you know yeah um, we're so lucky to be uh just i mean have the fucking youtube and internet and just be able to learn everything 20 i mean 30 years ago it's like where do you go with the library you never heard of any of these guys or any of the shit so unless you pulled out the book right I mean, like we can go on youtube yeah. and i can go oh somebody said something about this guy and then i can go on a rabbit hole chase and learn all these things that can help me 
deal with it because uh men like men have everything has already been done they say it and it's true it, and not only has it been done it's been written down and all you have to do is go look in books for it and looking in books for it is hard but uh we don't even have to do that anymore we can look online for it and Fucking just listen to it dude so, so lucky with YouTube. I wanted to play this video on the Timbo Sugar Show. We were talking about religion a little bit, but I know those boys get bored, so I got to keep the topic about Thanks. About I'm tits about to show you how to make a dragon. <laughs> Sweet. No, no, too cute. Here we Brave. go. Brave. Let's give it a couple seconds here. What? Oh, wait. It's a, of course. A this said, what evolutionary purpose, what evolutionary purpose does religion serve? It's, a, of course, a very vexing issue because people who believe devoutly in religion will tell you that there's no question there. It's already answered. Which this is, is a professor of anthropology from Rutgers University. That we're obligated to respect and believe and follow the word of God, however that word is determined. I did with a colleague of mine who had been at the UCLA Medical School, head of the Psychiatric Research Institute, Michael McGuire, a book called God's Brain, in which we were, I think, able to suggest, if not demonstrate, that religion is really made by the brain. It's a secretion of the brain. And this gets us away from the issue of whether religion is true or not true. The fact is that there are 4,200 religions in the world, each of them believing that they're absolutely correct, and everyone should follow their views. 4,200 religions, and he's right, all of them think they're correct. Which is a crazy thought. Yeah. And, and some 90% of the human beings are uh, describable by themselves, if not others, as religious. So we're not dealing here with a casual, a casual phenomenon, even though no one has any evidence of the stories behind the religions. And so uh, we got interested in this massive unreality, which is in fact finally a, a real reality, namely religions. And so there are cathedrals and towns, there are tax exemptions, there are people uh, donating money to religion. Still in America, uh, religions receive more donations than any other part of the community. And so w we were fascinated with what animated this. And as I said, I think we were able to suggest, if not also demonstrate, that the brain creates religion and the brain consumes religion. When you say the brain creates religion, is that a neurochemical chemical process? He goes over it, but that's a little bit longer of a video. But this is a bigthink.com. If you guys are look bored and looking around a site, it's all the smartest professors and philosophers and uh, authors of books going over super important topics. And they talk about them. Um, it's always interesting to hear how their perspectives and how they articulate their perspectives. Because yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a really interesting thought. And I don't think people, most people, even realize that they have thought about that and why they think about it. Why are we so confident in what we think is the right way when we have real, no real proof? Even if you've seen things, even if you've seen visions, heard voices, all of that can come down to cycle to to the, to the mental, right? To your brain. Or maybe you did do some drugs. Maybe you took something you don't know that you took. You know. Yeah, and how do we know the people who didn't write, who wrote the Bible, weren't on some heavy drugs? And I've, they were writing a story, God, a crazy stories. story that they were tripping about. Like I've been watching uh, uh, the Waco show. Waco? Waco. 
Waco. I don't think W A C O. It's fucking crazy. It's a, a docu series on Netflix about this guy David Koresh who starts his little cult, and uh, the whole place ends up burning down with kids, his family, and in this new documentary, there's a bunch of never seen before seen footage, and there's a. Uh, they're negotiating back and forth, and there's all you can hear all the negotiations stuff. But this guy had everyone just so fooled. I think he even had himself fooled. I don't know if he was a con man or if he was just he actually thought he was God. He 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 said in there he's the Messiah, he's God, and even he talked the some of the people into like not I mean all the people that had wives into only fucking him. Yeah. So actually, I did. My buddy at work when I was working <laughs> told me about that. That uh, that show, and then the FBI came in, and they had a big whole standoff with the FBI too, right? Something like that. That's it, crazy. It was the largest. It was the largest in United States fight like since the Civil War. That's nuts. That is so nuts. And to think that all these guys are like, yeah, you can have my wife. That's nuts. It, for God, <laughs> for God though, it's what God wants. Yeah. And if you're you're putting all your beliefs in this guy, and you actually think he's the Messiah, and he's such a good talker could do anything like these yeah. this people they they this people willingly killed their kids and their family yeah. in the name well, of god well that goes back to the book of eli you know when i don't know if you've seen that movie with what uh, denzel washington and he has the bible with him and when men this like post-apocalyptic you know nuclear missiles have been bought dropped in the world the world is completely in shambles and he has the bible and his name is ezekiel and he's traveling and these evil men find out he has the bible but they understand how powerful the bible is and it is like people already feel like there's already something more than them i think like we all say it we all we all feel like the uh god's presence inside of us and if you look at the book it says that god is with us all at, at all times right uh and then to be able to have a book that says words that prove that it happened in the past it's super powerful um and that's kind of why the bible's always been kind of controversial for me to be honest because like we don't know these people. I don't have any accounts of these people. And no. me particularly, I like to have my factual information where I did the studying. I know exactly where these people were, the accounts of these people, exactly yeah. what happens. The facts, right? We all talk about fact check, fact checking. And that's why I asked my mom too. I'm like, so if a guy comes and he tells you, hey, I'm writing this through God. God is telling me this. This is exactly what happened to David Crash. Would you believe him? Or no, you wouldn't believe him because what we're in this day and age why not or what he looks like that plays such a big part in it too like people only take word word of god from something that looks like what they believe would be god too a lot of times so yeah. that's that they're projecting their own selves into that anyways you know but this waco show the fire resulted i mean the whole place blew up and they think david koresh lit it on fire but he was trying to say that he didn't the fire resulted in deaths of 76 members including 25 children and two pregnant women and David Koresh. In a total, the 51-day siege resulted in deaths of four federal agents and 82 branch Davidians. That's a... If you guys are bored looking for a docuseries on Netflix, it's fucking crazy. It's I might crazy. have to go just check it out because he told me about it, but you explaining it, just it just intrigued me way more. So <laughs> Yeah, and it's a lot of this guy talking, a lot of him negotiating. It's uh, some interesting shit. So... You going to sparring today? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, three o'clock sparring. It is punch face day. Nice. I also been watching this new show. Jay said he's been watching it too with uh, Mark Wahlberg. I had no idea he was the type of entrepreneur he is. He has all these different F forty five businesses. He has his uh, 
municipal, his clothing business. He, he's still doing movies constantly. And he's just a hustler, huh, Jay? Yeah, it's crazy. He has that, the burger spot with his brother. Yeah, and he's got kids and a family too. And it seems like in that video, he's just like on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. He's almost addicted to it. And then it always makes me wonder like how happy is that guy? Can he really sit there and be in the moment with his children and, and actually spend time with them? Or is he constantly thinking about, oh, this investor needs this, this investor, this business isn't doing here. And just, I wonder if he's able to shut his mind off at all. Yeah. I always think that maybe that's his like jujitsu MMA though. Same with us. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. <clears throat> but yeah, he does a lot. <laughs> Holy shit. I mean, if he has a great team behind him, then I'm sure that he has those things figured out as well. You know, I know you guys understand yeah. when you have yeah. a really good team behind you, a lot of times it takes a lot of the, that stress off your plate. You know, if he has people True. that are setting up things in the correct manner for him, he has a really good schedule mapped out for him. Everything's organized and he gets, he just has to wake up and go then maybe it is a little bit more manageable for him. And I feel like just the person he is, that probably attracts a lot of people that would want to be there for him in a positive way yeah. too. You know? um, some good lessons that were on there too. He says, good good business is tested when things go bad. Everyone's a genius when it's going good. And I feel that a little bit. I mean, I've seen that from a bunch of the MMA teams I've been around. There's They go on a long win streak and everything's good. This guy's a genius. Oh my God, he's so smart. And then the, they go on a losing streak, which happens in fighting. No matter what the fuck, how good of a team you are, how good of a coach you are, that happens. And, and then, oh my God, what a stupid... Blah, 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 blah. And do you fall apart then? Because I've seen a lot of gyms fall apart when that stuff happens. Yeah, and maybe that's if they're riding their own coattail too sometimes. Yeah. You know? I think that's what it is if they buy into the hype. Because all of us really know, like, like, it's great to be winning, but there's always the opposite side of it that's sitting... On one yeah. slip, one move, one yep. roll that didn't happen. And that's the truth of it. And I, and I think people who, like, really absorb that and understand that that's, it's possible for me to be to be losing to and to be on a losing streak because other people have, mm -hmm. I think they flourish a little bit further because they're not necessarily so scared of that, right? Yeah. And scared of the criticism that they're going to get because people who are on the sideline are always going to have something to say. Yeah. And I've I've always loved the advice that like just earn the respect of people you respect and that's it. All that's the great. others, it's like who gives a fuck what you say. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. And then uh, it was talking about not making enemies. A lot of people do that. One thing doesn't go the right way, or something happens, or there's a miscommunication somewhere, and now you're fucking enemies. Now fuck that guy. I fucking blah, 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 blah. not making enemies. I've tried to make a good. I mean, I've tried to make a habit of that. Just not making enemies. Yeah, I love that, too. I love that, too. And it's not that hard to not make enemies. You just don't have to put them on the other side of you, right? Maybe you can't yeah. be with, do be aligned with them like you want to be aligned with them, but that doesn't mean that they have to be on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then having a good reputation. Having a good reputation is a good way to end up being successful. If you have a bad reputation, oh, this guy doesn't show up or this guy's all about money or this guy's all about this and it's like you have a bad reputation around town, it's going to be hard to climb out of that. Yeah, no, 100%. Because people talk. That's just what it is. Gossip happens. And if the gossip's happening and most people are talking the same about you, it's probably right, <laughs> you know, especially if they know you and they know about you. So, uh, yeah, you know, be true to who you say you are and, yeah. and then show up. That's one thing that uh, guys talk about a lot of times, show up. When you say you're going to show up, show up. When you say you're going to do something, do it. Maybe yeah. it doesn't drop like you want it to drop. Maybe it doesn't blow up like you want it to blow up, but do it anyways. Yeah, being reliable is a big one. I mean, just having a 
how you make a good team. You need people that show up. You need coaches that show up and that are passionate about it and at the partners that want to work hard. Um, there's a lot to go that goes into what makes a good team. Yeah, definitely. And we've been around it. I mean, Lab, such a great team, and now I'm building a great team here. Been around good leaders too. And I think we've watched it fall apart and be built back and, and, and be built back up and fall apart and be built back up and have all these fighters and then fighters not be there, you know, uh, or have people coming in from other gyms and, and, and flourishing with us for a little bit, then going to other, going back to their gym or moving on. So I think it's just like, uh, like and we've been able to rely on them constantly. John is extremely reliable. Um, you know, Rob, Randy, those guys are extremely reliable. Uh, and then just making sure to create a foundation where the fighters are doing the same thing, like like you were saying, like showing up to be there for the guys, you know, um, especially when it's necessary. Like if Shug needs work, I'm going to come over and give Shug work, you yeah. know. Um, if Mario needs work, if Kyle needs work and it's specific things, you know, and be able to trust each other that we're going to that we're going to get that work in. But we're going to do the right things. You know? Yeah. And you, you still your actual friends and you care about each other. Absolutely. Um Jay sent me something with the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama has apologized after a video merge of showing the spiritual leader kissing a child on the lips, then asking him to suck his tongue at an event. Did you watch the video? No, yeah. I like did a, not, bro. I did so not. Weird. Here, yeah. this is the video right here. Yeah, oh, wait. which is weird because I, I would usually just look to see what's going on, but I kept yeah. seeing it, and I was like, bro, I don't even want to see it's this not, right it's, now. It's, it's a little weird. So he just kind of puts his forehead on him, kisses him at first, and then he gets fucking weird about it. People were he just looks like, at him, and I, is he looking at him getting horned up right now? Yeah, I know. And he right. says, suck on my tongue. Oh, what? And what is everyone thinking? I know. I wonder and if it, it was like so awkward, and they're just like, I can't believe he just did that. Well, that's what bothers me, too. Like, I knew that they were going to stop it, too, and it's yeah. like, bro, you just stopped it. What happened after that? Like, no yeah. one got up and was like, what's yeah. up? Did the kids like, suck the tongue? Yeah. I don't like, know. I didn't, I didn't. The video ended. Yeah, and it says he apologized. Fuck. Did he apologize right there? Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like. What's going on? Well, people were saying, well, what is he doing when the cameras aren't oh, on? Can you imagine? Yeah. And that's crazy to think he's a Dalai Lama, too. And, yeah. like, you haven't seen it in that culture, right? You've seen it in, like, more Catholicism where you see, like, they they're, they had their whole moment, too, where they were going through that. But, like, it, it's a, it's across the board, like you were saying. Like, people will tell him, oh, it's for God, you know, yeah. all these different religions, yep. 4,200 religions, and it's probably happened every single one of them. Yeah, and when people get that kind of power and that respect, they just feel like no one can do anything to him. So I can act however the fuck I want. I can do whatever I want with kids, whatever it is. It seems like that's what a way it was with the Epstein and all that. They just felt invincible that no one could do anything because they they paid the law. They paid all these people. So I can do whatever the fuck I want. It's crazy. What and I think that thing with the Dalai Lama, it just shows like people are human, man. Like people, we put people on pedestals, like think they're perfect you know they don't make mistakes mm -hmm. it just shows like people are fucked up like we're human and and the that's old true. guy wants yeah. his tongue sucked on. that's fucking wild <laughs> yeah man, yeah but i'm sure and i'm sure every single one of us had horrible thoughts not like not like crazy thoughts but everyone's our minds just wander you know what i'm saying so we just think about things and they just cross and the craziest part where is when we actually do things right yeah is when is when thoughts become reality even though you know like it's not that makes no sense and it's ridiculous right yeah being able to navigate those is is, is big but i mean yeah fucked up thoughts go through your mind 100%. look at look at some of the movies that are out dude that, and those came from somebody thinking about this uh, how this scenario would look 
the human and then centipede the full and the goriness of it too like Ugh. the exactness of it right like that's something that someone could actually take some people and do and they thought and someone thought about it and made a movie about it and made millions of dollars but it's like that was in somebody's mind who's now seen as some uh artistic yeah. genius yeah exactly you know? <laughs> jay loves that human centipede yeah. <laughs> actually uh, i watched that whole movie too man so i'm not <laughs> even gonna lie like i did see it i had to see what the talk was about yeah. and that was one I did see, and oh man, dude, when the middle one died too, it was like, uh, I'm oh. not to, not to kill it for any of them, but it's like, yeah. Uh. Yeah. okay, we'll do uh, some little bit of MMA talk. Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje targeted for the summer. Dang, that's a banger. That's oh. a fucking banger, guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. Just guaranteed, dude. Fuck I, yeah. I feel like I can't even pick a winner of that one. Like, I just feel like, I feel like uh. they. It's their second time fighting. Dustin Poirier really pieced him up in Phoenix years ago. He fucking pieced him up. And you watch Dustin Poirier box as a southpaw, and he gives guys such issues, mm -hmm. dude. Yeah, no, 100%. But then also Gaethje's known for just being able to come back and and take that, that damage and then just, you know, turn it on and just find that shot. And he's been on lately, too, you know. Yeah. He's just been on. and Not to say that Dustin Poirier hasn't been on either, but he hasn't been as active, I feel like, as... Um, as uh, Gaethje's been, Gaethje's just a little bit more active, been in the sparring room a little bit more, maybe a couple bigger guys, and I just think that he, I think he has that chip on his shoulder, and he wants to get that one, you yeah. know. But excited uh, for that. Yeah, that's gonna be bigger. Oh, uh, we got Drakus Plusicius. That's who uh, Izzy, I guess, was talking about. And Drakus said, "So you won't say my name? That's smart of you. Better not. I don't need your airtime at all. I have my whole continent of Africa behind me. Go enjoy your very spectacular victory at home in New Zealand. And I guess he got surgery. The doctor, he got surgery on his uh, nose. And the doctor saying he was only competing with 8% of air capacity or something. And now that he got surgery on his nose, he can breathe way better. That Drykus guy is a stud. He is a stud and he's jacked and he's scary. Who knows if that's true what his doctor said. But I just don't see a way he could beat Izzy. Drakus is uh is he the this guy. yeah that's what I thought it was yeah you know I think it's just a little bit too early for him man if, if I had to say I think it's a little bit too early I've seen him he's had some good uh some good turnouts but I don't think he's fought the guys that he needs to fight to be able to fight Izzy just yet you yeah know? I mean if he was a super phenomenal wrestler or something or if he was a super phenomenal striker he's just a really great athlete and I don't know if that's enough to beat uh Izzy right now so yeah yeah I don't, it doesn't interest me that much I'd rather either see Alex Pereira again or see honestly see him fight uh uh what's called Robbie again I'd like to see who's him. 205 who's 205 uh champ uh, that is Jamal, Jamal Hill. Hill. Yeah, that's a good fight, yeah. there, bro. Man, I just don't know if I want to see that fight though. Jamal really? Hill versus he, who wins? Uh, yeah, that's a good one though. I mean, that's a good question. That's a good question. I just I feel like Jamal Hill just has the size. You know, I think automatically he has a size. He's going to be able to be more durable. Is he's known for being able to take guys to that deep water? But he fin and he finished Pereira this time. But is is he going to be able to finish Jamal? You know. I don't know. I think Jamal Hill gets that one, I have to say. Yeah, well, where where can people follow you at? Uh, they can follow me on Instagram, maniac underscore McGee. Uh, they can also follow me on um, Twitter, uh, maniac McGee 07. Uh, I got a little TikTok going out too, maniac McGee. If you type in maniac McGee pretty much on any of the platforms, you can, I'll pop up somewhere. All right, brother. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Uh, follow Marcus. And then also, I got the free newsletter that comes out every week. It's the gems from my, my podcast, what I read, what I'm thinking about. And it's a free newsletter. It's just you get email once a week. 
check it out. And then patreon.com slash redhawkacademy. I've been putting tons of stuff up there. Always, I'm constantly thinking about it. Um, yesterday, I put up some over-under tips, a little bit of dirty boxing tips with Suge. And then I did um, a preview preview of the newsletter discussing it. And then we did, I got the, I dropped some shirts on there, only on there, and then 20% discount for them. There's thorn supplements. I'm doing contests all the time. I'm putting uh, um, recipes up there, all sorts of shit. So patreon.com slash Red Hawk Academy. If you enjoy the pod, uh, please click the subscribe button and uh, let's enjoy our day. Love y'all. Bye-bye.